Hey, welcome back to Project Freelance. My name is Kay Agonio, and if this is your first time hearing my voice, well, welcome to the podcast. I bring guests to you every single week, every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, just in time for your morning commute to work, so that you start your week off the right way with some educational information. And this week, I have James Lim on the podcast. He is the creator and owner of Watson's Counter, which is a cafe slash restaurant slash coffee shop in Seattle in the Ballard area. And I actually got to go to his spot while I was in Seattle for about a week over the holiday season. And I got to hang out with my friend Zach from Into the Dark Blue podcast. And he took me to this spot to get some chicken and waffles. And can I just tell you, this was one of the most memorable chicken and waffle experiences I have ever had. And I have been to Roscoe's. I have been to Nate's. But this place, Watson's Counter, there's something special about it. There's something very special about the food. And so we're going to get into that this week on Project Freelance. But before we get started, I need to let you guys know I have a book out called No Tracers, An Urban Explorer's Diary. It is full of photography and stories of my times as an urban explorer. I have been exploring abandoned buildings for the past, well, since I was a kid, but I've been documenting it for the past four years, and so I compiled these photos into a book for you guys, and I would love for you to get a copy of it. It makes a great gift. It makes a great coffee book, ta- coffee table book, coffee book table. I always say that. It makes a great coffee table book, and uh, I would love to see it in your homes, in your schools, in your libraries, in Target one day. I would like to eventually get this thing published with a mass publisher so that it can be in Target. And uh, there's another urban explorer by the name of Seth Lawless who has his book in Target all over the place. And I definitely need to pick his brain on this podcast. We are planning to do a podcast together sometime this year. It's just a matter of doing it in person because he really, really wants to do it in person. So hopefully we can do a an urban exploration podcast in an abandoned building together and record that. I think it would be super cool. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this podcast with James. James, please introduce yourself to the Project Freelance audience and what it is that you do. Yeah. So I am James Lim. I own Watson's Counter. So... Tell me about Watson's Counter. What is it? So Watson's Counter is kind of like the birth of what I want in food and coffee and all that sort of stuff. Because I come from like seven years of specialty coffee experience. And I got to a point in my career where I was like, I either step completely away from like the day to day of making coffee, making recipes and doing all that and working purely corporate, or I stay static in my position because the coffee industry doesn't have a lot of um, higher end positions. And so it ended up kind of being, I ended up parting ways with the company I worked with previously and then um, decided like, it's just the time to make the plunge. Then I can make all the drinks that I want to make. I can create a food menu. And so it just kind of became the birth of what I want uh my ideal cafe to be and I ended up just kind of blowing up into a restaurant more than anything else so let's go back and talk about how you got into the food space in the first place food and coffee how did you get into that what inspired you oh man that's actually a weird long story but I'll give you like the the medium short version of it um I actually went to school for um like science so I I was a molecular biology major in college 
um, with a minor in microbiology. And so I actually did lab science and I worked as a microbiologist for a little while. And uh, when that career kind of took a plunge because of the economy, um, this is like in 2012, like everything kind of crashed and it was a very oversaturated market. And so I, I thought to myself, you know, like I love the intellectual side of this. I love the precision. I love the, this, like the intellectual stimulation of it all, but it was a very lonely job because you're working in laboratories by yourself. You're in clean rooms. You don't see a human soul. So I started venturing into other, other career paths and just kind of seeing what else is out there. Um, I worked as a personal trainer for a couple of years, just focusing on my physical fitness and doing that sort of thing. And then I happened to go to a coffee shop next door uh, every single day, and I became friends with those guys. And then I got connected with them. And then when I started my own personal training business, I actually took part-time work at the coffee shop. Um, and, I, and mind you, I had worked at Starbucks all through my undergrad. And uh, at some point, I thought I would never, ever work in coffee again. Just the just the smell of those coffee oils at the end of the day and just dealing with all you know the bureaucratic stuff. And I just can't do that. But working at this coffee company, I learned about like the precision and all that sort of thing when it comes to coffee of measurements and science and all that sort of stuff. So everything I learned academically, I could apply to coffee. And I've always been a glutton and a food lover. So, you know, that kind of all ended up working hand in hand. And I just kind of fell in love with it all. That's amazing to hear that you, you know, thought you would never work in coffee again. And now you have one of the most one of the top rated coffee spots in Seattle. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, what your next step was. So you got this job at this coffee place while you were doing personal training. What came next for you? Um, it was more I realized that personal training, it's not a very viable thing for longevity. Um, it requires you to be in great shape all the time in terms of if you get injured, you basically don't have any work to do. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty active in several different sports. And so that kind of risk is always there. Um, and I think it's just the, the culture of that is a little off and, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole of that culture that I don't want to be a part of. Um, and so when it came down to the coffee aspect of it, I just kept falling in love with it. The more I learned about customer service and doing more of, you know, like the recipe development and then learning about roasting and then learning about sourcing and the globalization of coffee and how important it is for like the world economy. Not just, it's not just, you know, pumping out drinks and making frappuccinos. It's actually supporting farmers and supporting local people as well and all that sort of stuff, which is why a big part of my focus is to focus on, is to support uh, local vendors and local farms and things like that. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but. No, that was great. So let's talk a little bit more about sourcing your product. Um, where are you getting your, your beans from for your coffee? Um, and I love that you support the local economy. I think that that is extremely important, especially when you're trying to build a name for yourself. Yeah. Um, so we source our, right now we use, we get all of our coffee from Anchorhead Coffee. Um, and they are a local roaster. They roast out in Duval. They have a couple of cafes here in Seattle. Um, Duval is just like a little bit outside of the, outside of the city here. Um, but coffee is one of those products where it's not grown in the United States. So there's a certain necessity when it comes to the carbon footprint of 
coffee traveling from Ethiopia to the United States to Seattle. And I think minimizing that by choosing a local roaster is great. Um, especially because I've seen cafes get coffee beans that are shipped from Ethiopia to literally Germany and then from Germany to the United States. And that, you know, for a bag of coffee, that's, that's quite the environmental impact. Um, not to mention it's not really stimulating local econ- local economy as much as I would like. Um, other things like our meat, all of our proteins are sourced within Washington or Oregon. Um, we have, we do a lot of, uh, work with local people to get some of our ingredients. Um, for a while I was working with a local urban farmer to get some of our ingredients until it got to a point where they couldn't keep up with our demand. Um, but always trying to like figure out who to support in our neighborhood because I live only literally 18 short, short blocks from the restaurant. So I could walk to work in 15 minutes, but and so being able to support the people who are around me is super important. Cause you know, I, I would like the support of, of the people in the neighborhood as well, you know? Yeah, no, I love that. Like I said, I love that you're supporting your local economy and the fact that you live so close and can walk to work, you're further minimizing your carbon footprint. And I think that's, that's great. And more people should strive to uh, try to do things like that to minimize their impact on the earth. Um, so, yeah. yeah, good for you, man. That's, that's awesome that you're doing that. And, and again, I can't stress enough how much supporting local farms is uh for people listening that may want to start a business out there uh when it comes when it comes to the food industry so let's talk a little bit about the menu of watson's counter what do you serve and how did you come up with your menu and your style because you know you serve uh chicken and waffles but they're not just chicken and waffles you have your own twist on your food there so let's talk a little bit about the menu yeah i think it's a it's a it's an amalgamation of just me being born of korean immigrants uh, and growing up in these, the Seattle culture, cause I'm born and raised here, but my parents are from Korea and just kind of what I experienced growing up. These are the flavors of my school lunch, as well as, you know, all the stuff that kids made fun of me for bringing to school. Um, when I brought things from home, like if I brought kimchi into the classroom, that's something that people were just like, absolutely not. Or even like you see these days, people eating, you know, like Costco sells dried seaweed. Um, when we were kids, that's something that we got made fun of for so much. Uh, but it's, it's those different influences. And obviously it's everyone's experience growing up is unique. Um, the, the foods you eat as you grow up, the different palate experiences you have end up developing your palate in very specific ways. And I think it's just like me falling up with chicken, like chicken wings for whatever reason is my favorite food in the whole world. Um, in high school, I literally gained almost 20 pounds in a summer because that's all I ate. It was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, so that's a favorite food of mine. You know, I remember visiting a friend down in LA and going to Roscoe's and being like, this is, this is game changing. This is amazing. And so it just kind of, it's all these different memories and all these different experiences. Like the chef that I worked with to develop this menu, he had these other, other feelings too, like our poutine and our locomoco of, you know, these aren't things that exist in Seattle, but we want to eat them all the time. So why don't we just put them on our menu? You know, I mean, the things that we love are the things that we'll best be able to represent. So um, especially if you lose the passion for something, there's no way you can make it well. And so we started off with a much larger menu, but with logistics such as, you know, how much space do we have and 
um, how much, how big of a menu can we realistically have? We decided to go at least, at most, 10 items. And then we ended up landing around eight and then added a chicken and waffles later. Okay, so the chicken and waffles came later. Uh, what is your most uh, sold or most eaten item on your menu? Uh, it's definitely the Fruity Pebbles French Toast. And then after that, it's probably the Loco Moco. So the first time I had Loco Moco was in a house in Hawaii, and it completely changed my entire mind about breakfast. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's absolutely amazing. When did when did you add that to the menu, and what were the influences behind that? Because that's not a Korean dish; it's it's more of a Hawaiian dish, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, one hundred percent correct. It's it's very much a Hawaiian dish. Um, it's it's kind of inspired um, in in Japan. They do a lot of uh, hamburger patties and rice. Um, and they do it kind of like a, a curry style and that's kind of where Hawaii adopts it as well as, as far as I know. Um, and it was, it was just more, it was the same, it was the same thing for us because my, um, one of the chefs that I worked with, he was like, I love Locomoco. And I was like, I love Locomoco too, but where do you really get it? And there's a couple places that serve it and it's okay. But what you're used to receiving is very standard gravy and a frozen meat patty on top of rice. And so for us, it was, no, if we're going to do this, we really have to do it. And it was funny because part of the debate was, are people going to get it? Are they really going to want to do that? Because no one wants to dress up certain items, you know, certain things you, you eat it the way it is. Like you don't want a bougie Big Mac, right? You just want a dirty Big Mac. And so um, we, we have our own blend of meat that we grind in house and form into patties and then we also make our gravy too. And that's that's very time consuming, but it has like that anchor head coffee is in that gravy as well. Um, and yeah, it's just the process. And we decided like, we just want a, a relatively simple dish to become something that's more complex and something more, uh, not, not to say you can't appreciate any Locomoco, but it's like, we wanted more depth of flavor and more like interesting more flavors. Science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wanted to bring that microbiology into the game. Uh, yeah, I love the uniqueness of your flavors. And I, so I recently, for listeners, I was recently in Seattle and my friend Zach actually took me to Watson's for the first time. So I got to experience it and I had to, you know, tell James how impressed I was with his food, which is why he's now on this podcast. <laughs> um, so... I was surprised though, the Fruity Pebbles French toast. So I thought it was going to be French toast with Fruity Pebbles on top. You know, you just like, you just sprinkle Fruity Pebbles, but no, you like mix it in and make the French toast into this like beautiful loaf of goodness. And I was so impressed with that, man. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. It was definitely inspired uh, by a lot of different things. I think, um, I, I actually initially wanted to make like cereal infused milks. And then do that to make lattes. So if you wanted something like a little more forward in the latte, um, you could do that. Or like a mocha, instead of adding dark chocolate, it would be like a cocoa puff sort of thing. Um, it was definitely a failed experiment. I'll say that. And then we kind of had that. Are you familiar with Milk Bar out on out in the East Coast? No, I'm not. There's actually one in LA now. I've never heard so of it. So there's a Milk Bar in LA. Oh, you should put that on your list. I'm writing it down. It's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a go-to. Christina Tosi... Uh, she comes from um, Wiley Dufresne and David Chang. So she's worked under those guys. And um, she was just given a chance to open up her own like dessert place, essentially. 
because she was just making great things in the kitchen and she's people recognized her for doing awesome things and so she has milk bar which is like a they did like cereal soft serve and they do other dessert like great cookies and things like that and um, I got the chance to meet her when they did an event here at Canlis. I told her about the idea because I was like, I don't want you to think I'm like just like purely ripping you off. Definitely inspired by you, but I don't want to do it if you don't think it's okay. And like she like, gave us her blessing. She gives her blessing and let us go through with it. <laughs> and so it's like in, in my mind, it's like, okay, this is blessed by Christina Tosi or whatever. And she allowed us to do it. Not that we couldn't do it, but you know respect right yeah mad respect and how like how does that feel to have her blessing like i'm sure that was huge for you yeah i mean totally i'm sure she doesn't remember the interaction you know because she probably meets millions of people a day right but uh, but for her to be like that's a great idea like go for it i'm like oh my god there's validation in somebody who's like on tv all the time you know <laughs> so it felt felt good yeah, man. So yeah. tell me about getting the storefront. How did that, when did you acquire your space? Um, we, I've actually had that space for almost two years now. Um, yeah, almost two years, but we've only been open for about a year just because we were waiting for the perfect spot. Um, and we were looking for something kind of sleepy and neighborhood because I want to be a neighborhood place. Like I want, I want to add to the neighborhood. I want to contribute and help it grow in a positive way. Um, and I already lived relatively nearby. I moved even closer, but this kind of seemed like a great place because Ballard's is always a neighborhood I wanted to live in. And so when this space came up, I actually had a friend who was, who was a commercial realtor and he was like, check out the space. And I was like, nah, it looks kind of crappy. And he was like, just let's go walk through it. And just put a little vision to it because it was this old pizza place that was pretty run down. Um, and so he was just like, imagine what you could do with this space. Like it's very old and it's got these nice high ceilings and the wood beams. And I was like, man, that's so true. And so it's just kind of all and, and the price was right. Honestly, if the price wasn't right, there was no way we could have done it. Because um, as, as a in our first year of business, we're almost we almost have zero debt at this point. Wow. So we're almost, yeah, we're almost like just back in the black and we'd be operating pretty much at a profit starting next year, knock on wood. Um, but it's, it's honestly just been a blessing with the way things kind of fell into place, you know? That's amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that you're almost at zero debt, like in your first year, like most people can't say that, like, that's absolutely incredible. So how... How did you market or how have you been marketing your business? How have you been putting it out there and telling people about it? I think that's been the most beautiful thing about it is um, I always told the kitchen staff and the front of house with like our latte art and the plating is everything has to look beautiful. But number one is always it has to taste good. And granted, that's always the most subjective thing, right? I mean, you know, in in, in your line of work, it's like, subjectivity is everywhere people have people love it people hate it or whatever uh but i always say you know we have to be proud of what we're putting out even if people don't like it. it has to taste great but it also has to be instagrammable so um i know very early on in one of your pods you talk about how uh people people ask artists for free things all the time but they don't expect free things from other businesses um uh, 
I get I get asked all the time for free food from like Instagram <laughs> people. They're just like, "Hey, I'll come through and feature your feature your food if you give us free food or if you pay me two thousand dollars." And I'm just like, "No, thank you. Like, we don't do any of that." Um, part of the, part of the marketing for me has been intentionally nobody gets a free meal. Anybody who posts about us or talks about us has done so because they they truly like what we're putting out. Um, I mean, or they post, they truly say how much they don't like us, which I think is the most weird thing. But people are very passionate about what they hate. Um, but yeah, it, it's been just word of mouth, you know, building building through that, um, building connections through some of the the guests that we have. Like they're well connected, so they'll. I mean, like I'm talking to you now. You know, I mean, right. that's like awesome for us. Um, just being able to build these relationships with people and they build and they bring their friends and they bring their friends and it's gotten us featured in you know several magazines and um seattle eater seattle times has put us in a couple times and things like that it's just been i think it's a lot of it is is like the honesty and truth in what we're doing and being ourselves in all of it because it allows us to always put that foot forward um and even though because it's just this day and age, it's so hard to advertise in a publication or paper because nobody reads paper, you know, digital, even Facebook ads for, you know, it's not even our generation anymore that's really on Facebook. You know, how do you how do you measure ROI on like Instagram ads and things like that? And so it's kind of like, it's like what you said before, too, it's just you just have to hustle and keep and just keep making those connections and keep taking those jobs and doing and figuring out ways. And so even if I'm dead tired and have like a 17 hour day, someone's like, Hey, you should come out for drinks and meet this guy. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely exhausted. The last thing I need is an alcoholic drink, right. but you know, you gotta, you, you build those relationships and, um, yeah, it, it's, I just, I'm really happy that we haven't had to like pay anybody or anything except for the, you know, obviously our branding agency, but, um, not having to pay for ads, I think is is something that I'm honestly really proud of. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love that, you know, you're not giving people stuff for free. I think that, you know, it shows that you've really earned that positive feedback. You've really earned those, uh, those social media posts, if you will, if you can, you know, uh, call, figure out like a return on investment, like that, that message on social media spreads and, and that can go, you know, internationally. And so I think that it's, it's amazing to see how you've, how your business has grown. And I mean, if you look online, you've got like 146 reviews in a year. That's amazing. That's absolutely insane. Is it? I actually, I literally do not know. Like I, this whole, the food game to me has been different than the co- The coffee game is way different than the food game. I realized it's, hundred times more stressful and a hundred times more difficult. And I, it's been way harder than I anticipated. <laughs> so I, I just, a lot of it's new to me to be, to be frank with you. Yeah. So you're, you're teaching yourself so much and learning, I'm sure you're learning a ton about how to run a business and how to grow a brand. Um, how did you come up with your branding? Like your beautiful little sign? Like, tell me about that. Oh, so Watson's my dog. Oh, Watson's your uh, dog. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a little pup. He's not a puppy. He's almost 10. Um, but his name is Watson. Um, yeah, I've had him since he was a puppy. So I've had him for like almost 10 years now. And uh, name names are weird. I don't know how it is. Um, 
down where you live, but here everything, all coffee shops and restaurants have this like pretentious something ampersand something like <laughs> Mumford and Sons, you know, like that sort of thing. Oh yeah, and you can <laughs> totally. see it everywhere. Totally. Um, and so it's like I don't want to do anything like that. Also, using my own name into it feels very narcissistic. Uh, and so I was just like, you know what? I love my dog. I'm just gonna name it his his spot and just keep it real casual. Um, and so I like the idea of kind of that mascot. So it's, it's him. It's a picture of him uh, within a tiger hoodie because the Siberian tiger is Korea's national animal. And so it's kind of my, my heritage wrapped up in this little thing that I love. Um, and he's just my little mascot. And this is kind of what it's become. And I wanted to keep it light and whimsical and cartoony because I don't want people to come in thinking that we're this bougie whatever i mean we have like these like uh quartz marble looking tables and lights and i know it feels a certain way and i, I want it to feel a little professional but our approach and our attitude towards you hopefully um my team who like served you hopefully they were just like they were pretty chill but still professional and attentive and all that sort of thing i think um the way the service industry is moving it people don't i don't think people resonate anymore with this like upscale like hello okay how are you today oh i'm so glad to hear it you know it's like hey how's it going you know just really casual and so i think being able to embody that with the logo um is, is important because you know it's the first touch point that a lot of people get from who we are yeah i think that because you know so many jobs and so many people are being replaced by robots i think we're looking for an authentic experience we're not looking for the same hey hello how's it going i hope you're doing well my pleasure to serve you oh you know what i mean like we're looking yeah, for some yeah, exactly. we're looking for human contact <laughs> yeah it's fair to say that some people aren't which True. is i think kind of right. interesting uh but i don't know if that's the reason why you go that's what like postmates is for now right exactly you wouldn't go you wouldn't go to a place like watson's if you're trying to be alone i'll t i'll say that you guys yeah. were very welcoming. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. So uh, what are your three to five year plans for Watson's? What do you hope to do in the next couple of years? Uh, next couple of years. Um, first things would be, so we, our structure right now is kind of set up to be um, introductory to the world. So like our pricing structure and um, kind of the way we're front facing right now is so that people can come in and, and learn about us a little bit more and get comfortable with us because we also do a no tip structure. Um, all of my employees get paid well above, well above the minimum wage. Um, and that's very intentional. And so um, the first couple years, the goal is to become obviously financially stable. Um, even though we're doing well, I think there's much more room for that. And then once we're very financially stable or as we become financially stable is to be able to um, cover my team a little better. I think the service industry is wrought with, um, you know, no benefits, terrible pay, hard, difficult hours, things like that. And I know so many people like, I mean, I have, I have a four-year degree. I've almost completed a master's program and you know, I love service industry. So why shouldn't I be able to make a decent living doing that? And so for me, I think being able to provide a place where I can hopefully provide that 
and I'm, I'm sure there's reasons why people don't. It must be, I'm sure it's difficult. Um, but I'm just kind of hoping that in the cards and I'm really working towards being able to provide people who want to be in the service industry and want to work for me, make enough money to like live comfortably, have kids, have insurance, things like that. Um, that is part of the short-term goal. The other part of the short-term goal is probably to expand in, in one way or another. I don't think I'll do it unless it feels right. Um, but I think being able to grow the brand a little bit and then just sit on my butt. <laughs> I mean, that's not the five-year plan. That's probably like the, the, the 30, 35-year plan. But um, short-term, yeah, short-term though, I mean, we still want to look to see what, what else is out there, you know, especially as the brand is fresh. You know, don't want to overextend ourselves, but um, see what opportunities exist, especially as Seattle's growing. Seattle's like, it's just growing so quickly and there's lots of opportunities always. It's just kind of figuring out what the right one is, uh, considering we have, I've been approached a couple times, but it needs to be, it needs to be the right, right fit for us, you know? Definitely. And you have a, uh, you have a trophy, it looks like on your counter. Can you talk about that? Tell me what that's for. <laughs> yeah that's um it's a coffee competition called crush the rush um it's a competition that la marzocco they're they're like one of the espresso manufacturing companies in the world um their united states headquarters is here in seattle and they do competitions in the united states they do like six or seven i want to say like i think they did one in la i know they did it in new york nashville chicago um atlanta I think, but regardless, they, they run around the country doing these events and it's just coffee competitions can get really pretentious. If you imagine your barista, the most pretentious barista in the coffee shop that you go to multiply that person by 10. And that's kind of what most coffee competitions come to. Um, they're all, they're all great people and everyone's super nice, but it's just kind of, there's a, there's a disconnect in, in that, in those competitions. And like, you know, there's a huge difference between reality and like what you're serving. Like you're serving a hundred dollar cup of coffee, but Joe Schmo's they're having, they're, you know, they're drinking, not that, um, Crusher Rush is fun because the competition's about, um, just the more it's more accurate to a, a cafe experience. And so the goal is just to make like eight drinks as fast as you can in order but keep them clean, keep them pretty, and that sort of thing. So it's this big race. Essentially, you do time trials, and then it becomes head-to-head tournament. And we kind of went into it not sure what we were going to do. Um, and it wasn't until day of or a couple of days before that we realized all these teams were practicing. Like they were like, which is again carbon footprint, waste stuff. It just seems so wasteful to like blow through all these coffee beans and blow through milk just to practice for this for fun event. So we, we ended up going in with no game plan. We, we went in, uh, we learned the rules while we were there, the rules, the actual rules of the game after we arrived. And then we just kind of dumb luck ended up winning the whole thing. Wow. And so they, they make this big old, like ridiculous looking trophy. Um, and this is funny. And so, uh, Josh, the guy who, one of the guys who helps put it on, he was like, you need to put this in the most obnoxious place possible. <laughs> I was I have the perfect spot for it right when you walk in the door. So the first time he came in after that, he was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so it's just like in your face the moment you come in. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me. <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, 
I know you are early in your career, and so I hope that this is. I hope. I hope the answer is you. No, but have you ever been screwed over? Um. Oof. Um. I'll say yes. That's that's easy. Um. Just trying to think of how how political correct how politically correct this needs to be. It's not like it's an inappropriate thing, as much as I think. The way I got screwed over was I poured my heart and soul into a company and I like I worked on salary, a very low salary, mind you, like very low. This was in my years of service with this company, it was less than my starting salary at my biotech job. Um I I worked probably 65 to 70 hours a week for this company and then you know, doing research and making sure that like things are going well, spending extra time in cafes and all sorts of stuff. And at the end of the day, they let me go because they were just like, you just don't feel like you're worth, you know, the work you're doing, or we don't feel like you're the work that you're doing is actually like bringing any return. And I was, I was so upset because I, I, I mean, caveat, it is possible, right. To work your hardest and not be beneficial. Um, but this has been validating for me to say that all my efforts and then the the things that I chose to focus on while I was with them are the things that I focus on here, like employee retention through happiness and employee, you know, um, showing appreciation and then also just being true to their craft and also being very transparent with the products that we provide, you know, like our coffee, our food, we're very transparent about how everything's made, you know, which is why open kitchen was very important to me to have. Um, I think like the way I got screwed over was my, my employers kind of didn't believe in me. Yeah. Um, and I think that was just really tough because I, I really put my heart into that company and that company just kind of decided that I wasn't worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, that's getting screwed over. I don't know, but it, it's, it's just hard. Yeah, definitely. When you, when you care for something. Yeah. So, my last question for you is what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Um, yes, I should have prepped. I should have prepped this answer. Cause I, I heard you say that this is something you ask everyone. Um, I think in this sense, people, I mean, hopefully, you know, you're a good person in general. Uh, not you, but um, but people are willing to help you a lot more than you think. I was really blown away by how many people were so supportive and willing to put in extra time or willing to put in their efforts. And it's hard because you feel guilty and you don't want people to do extra work or you don't want your friends to come in and help paint your ceiling, right? It's It's a lot of work and it's tough and I didn't want to do it and I, and I had some sort of financial investment into it. And so to have people who wanted to help me was uh, a lot of the times I was like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. But a lot of my friends were like, no, I'll just, I'll come in and help you and I'll just do this. Cause some, you know, you have friends who are better at things than you are, you know? And so if they bring in their skill set, it's much easier for them and they want to help you. And I think what I would tell myself is like, accept help. You know, it's going to give you a little more peace of mind. You're going to be able to sleep and people love you and care about you. And 
they want to see you succeed. You know, the community wants you to see, wants to support the people that they love and they want you to do well. So I think that's, yeah, the amount of support and willingness to help is definitely something that I would have never anticipated. Well, it sounds like you've got a great community around you and I'm excited for your future, man. And uh, I hope we can check in and do another one of these in about a year and see where you're at. Yeah. And if you're ever up in Seattle, like we'd love to have you on our podcast and all that. Definitely. I would love to be on it. Um, So if people want to go to Watson's, where can they find you? And uh, do you have social media that you would like to plug as well? Yeah. So we are located in Ballard. Um, which is kind of just like the west side of Seattle. Um, you can find our address and everything on our social media. We have a website, watsonscounter.com. Never update it. But the best way to reach me is through Instagram, which is just Watson's Counter. Um, and that, that's kind of the good way to go. Um, and then you can kind of see what people love and hate about us on Yelp. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Project Freelance. I had a blast talking to you. Thank you so much. All right, that was another episode of Project Freelance. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you are in the Seattle area and you're looking for somewhere dope to eat, definitely check out Watson's Counter. I mean, the the name and the mascot are inspired by James' dog, Watson, and I think that is the coolest and the cutest way to brand your company. Just name it after your pet. It's great, <laughs> and it works, and it makes it less bougie like he was saying in this podcast watson's is a very friendly very open very awesome place so yeah if you guys are in seattle or if you're traveling to seattle definitely check out watson's counter if you guys are new to the podcast please hit that subscribe button so that you're notified next week when we upload a new episode of this podcast follow us on social media at project freelance on instagram and project freelance on twitter all the links will be down in the description unfortunately on twitter you can't have more than so many letters in your username so we had to cut out part of freelance so it's just project freelance on on twitter so yeah thank you guys for listening i'll talk to you next week stay strong keep enduring go out and go create something